Since then, wonderfully, we've been able to plant into Brixton, which is the capital of Black Britain. I can't really take any credit for that. We found a planter, we looked after him, we trained him, uh, we gave him a church to bring people to as he gathered a launch team, and they went out about three years ago down into Brixton. At the same time, we were planning a church planting into a neighbouring uh, suburb called Streatham, and uh, Alex Lyre, who was my assistant minister for four years, went and planted that uh, about three years ago. About, about the same sort of time, Richard Cokin, who runs our network of churches, said, look, um, would you be interested in running a pioneering church planting organisation? So we, we, we're a network that wants to keep planting. We don't just want to enjoy the fact that what God has done. We, we feel a burden to try and plant churches within London, and we want to try and learn how to do that. Uh, and one of the things we were observing was we weren't growing churches quickly enough, or rather God wasn't growing churches quickly enough, for us to only plant out of planted churches, if you know what I mean. So in London, amongst the fastest growing context, I reckon it's taken somewhere between five and seven years, five to ten years, to, to think about planting from a planted congregation. And if that's your only dynamic, it limits the speed at which you can plant. And so we thought we have to do something different. We have to go around the plants. How do we do that? Let's do pioneering church planting. It's going to be risky. We were given a million pounds uh, for three years to try and get this thing up and running, which means having the kind of centralised apparatus, but then also we gave planter grants of £20,000 a year to our planters for three years to kind of give them some sort of seabed funding. So we're, we're, we're deliberately trying to identify entrepreneurially-minded individuals who are willing to give it a crack with very little in terms of sometimes resource, people, and just give it a go. So that's what we've, that's what we've done for the last three years. Um, and that, so my responsibility has been to run that organization. And what we've tried to do is we're trying to, um, where is that, I've got a number up here. And we're trying to move risky church plants into our network um, without us being any way financially obligated to look after them, because we launched 12 church plants, and if we become, if we, it costs about 50 to 70 thousand pounds in the UK in London to look after a minister, to house a minister. That's a lot of money if you're doing that 12 times. So we said, look, what we want to do is you can join our, um, our sort of trust fund if you satisfy three things, three criteria. So all of our plants are working towards these: multiple male leadership. So in other words, not just the planter and a congregation, but deliberately intentionally raising up elders, suitable male leaders to take responsibility. So that if the leader gets knocked under a bus, the mission keeps going. Um, it's not a problem. Secondly, sustainable financial plans. Now, not self-sustaining. So it, it, it's not necessarily the case that all of the plants we plant have to finance themselves. Better if they do, because otherwise we've got to find the money from somewhere else. But we deliberately wanted to plant into two areas that evangelicals in our country are weak at planting into. Number one, socially needy areas. So I'm not just talking blue collar, I'm talking benefits class estates. Council estates uh, where there's no expectation of leadership um, and there's no expectation of funding. Um, so, that, so we had to find other um, ways of financing that. Second group would be um, a much sort of broader ethnic mix. So, for example, we planted with a Korean into a Bangladeshi community in Mile End, which is the east end of London. Um, so, uh, you, would look, you would look at that and think, well, that's going to be hard. Um, how's that going to grow to sustainability and, and so on? 
But that's what we're working on. So financially sustainable plans, and then finally viable gospel growth. In other words, if, we pl- if they recruit a launch team to 20, before they can belong to us and be recognised as an official commission church, but we want, we want to see evidence of them working out how do we connect who we are with the community around us such that those guys can access the gospel, believe the gospel, put their faith in Christ and grow to maturity. So that, that's what we're working towards. And my job has been to put the apparatus in place to try and make that happen. And characteristically what we've done is we've had training from me, just a dumping of information um, uh, on them to think these things through. We've employed a brilliant woman called Anya Lyon who has essentially taken away everything that planters characteristically are rubbish at. Organisation, administration, health and safety, legal concerns, financial management. We've just taken it away and said, we'll look after that. You get on with evangelising a church into existence and building up Christians. Um, And then, in addition to that, we've provided a bit of personal support, both for planters' wives, but also the planters themselves. And principally, that's been me. Um, that's unsustainable, um, but that's that's kind of what we've been doing. So that's that's been our that's been my role for the last three years. In addition to carrying on um, with, um, with Christchurch family. Yeah, that's good. Did you want to? Uh, is there anything on the slides you want to? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, if you want to just flick that off for a second, Glenn, sorry, it's just, uh, yeah, I just uh, yeah. So in terms of, as, as in terms of an illustration, we talk. So if if commission is the stately house, the stately home. What we talk about is we talk about um, Antioch being the nursery. You know how if you, if you put a seed in a thing and it grows a little bit and you put it in the greenhouse because it's, there are sort of con- conducive conditions for growth. I think um, Rory was talking about the ecosystem, doing what you can in the ecosystem to encourage growth. That's what we've tried to do. So that this little, little seed of the gospel can go in, grow, and then we transplant it once it's sort of, that's grown into a fully-fledged congregation. That's what we're about. If I show you, these, these are the guys, there's a whole mixture, um, so you get a, a taste of the flavour of some of what we've got, so we've got some Koreans, so Joseph, um, uh, Mike and Dongo, uh, so Korean congregation, um, Bangladeshi congregation, uh, Alex is a Brazilian, um, deliberately intentionally reaching a multicultural thing, that is an amazing work. I mean, it really is evangelising a church into existence. Language classes, Christianity Explored, Sunday launch, God willing, this September. And so three language classes with 50 people coming through into a Christianity Explored course. The fall-off is pretty big, 12, hoping to try and get some sort of team together for for September. Hard graft. Um, Council estate down in Croydon, benefits class estate. No one has a job. Everyone's got a car and everyone's got the latest electronic gear, but no one's got a job. They really know how to play the system. Um, and Neil's doing a brilliant job down there. Cornerstone, um, the, this is um, the, the west here is a little bit wealthier, so this is London coming through. That's the centre. Uh, London Underground Church and the Globe Church were the two city centre churches. Globe Church was done with the FIEC, um, with their poster boy um, to try and get a central London church up and running. Um, so that, that's there. Q Baptist is a revitalisation. Um, Roehampton is a stu- deliberately student church. Beckentree is an estate in the northeast. So that would be Eastern Europeans, um, West Africans. Uh, it's the home of the prosperity gospel. Uh, and you've got White Van Man. Um, and then uh, Vauxhall is in the centre, uh, working with London City Mission there, principally amongst... Uh, 
uh, the estates that are there. That, that's a kind of the mix. Streatham would be a suburb that's changing, quite multicultural, big Somali population, but it's also where you might go to buy your house because you can't afford Ballon. Um, you, get, you get more of your money over there. <coughs> There's a reason for that. It's not quite as nice. So, that, so those are the 12 guys I've looked after. You launched them all at the same time? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, I think if I'm honest, I'd say the third, third, third. So I've talked about, I think a third flew and flourished, a third are fluctuating and floundering, a third failed and folded. Um, so the story is that one, for the Bangladeshi congregation folded. Um, so the Korean, entrepreneurially minded, brilliant. It was basically, it was shafted by one of the, one of the first converts. Um, and so it was really a kind of you know, desertion uh, it, and it was painful and Joseph couldn't continue and I don't blame him it just felt absolutely the wind was taken out from his sails there was no way we were going to get him back in, into ministry after that so we looked after him loved him some time out he's involved in another church plant now but that was, that was a desertion that folded it was pretty messy um, the other one that's folded would be um, Cornerstone Teddington we are a network of churches I've got no leverage at all other than my personal relationship with, um, with, with the senior pastors over what they do with their church plants. So that was planted out of an existing church in Kingston, which is, it's, it's London, but it's its own area. And there's a flourishing church there called Cornerstone, run by um, Pete Woodcock. They sent Tom off to do that, um, and it's brilliant. It was terrific. And they were doing a great job. And if you ask me, I think they folded too soon. And part of the reason for that is they didn't let them go. So they, 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 they did their thing in the evening, but they were in Cornerstone in the morning. So big, lively Cornerstone congregation, small satellite. And, and I think, my, my, my reading of it would be, if you let Tom go, with a, a, gro- a group of people who said, you know what, the last thing in the world we want to do is go back to mothership, I think that might have flown. So I, I wonder whether it was closed prematurely, but that's okay. They just said, we'll do it. Uh, yeah, it's not quite gone as we want, so let's bring it back in, and they're already planning where the next one is. And they'll have learned a whole load of lessons from that. That's okay. That's all right. As long as people were reached with the gospel, people were converted, the church didn't get established, but I think lessons were learned, which is really, really useful. Um, yeah, so those are the two that have kind of officially folded. The ones that flew and flourished, I'd say Streatham, um, Globe, uh, St Michael's Fullwell, uh, and there's one other Beckham Tree over there. Um, so those those have those have flown, um, and the others are fluctuating, floundering. You know, there's some difficult decisions to make. Their funding has run out already, so they've had their luck. So we give them six monthly instalments of ten thousand pounds for three years each six months. They've had their last £10,000. Um, some of them are entrepreneurially minded and are good at fundraising. Um, they, may, they, they may be able to get some money and keep going for a while, but that is, it's ticking. You know, in London, I think three, three years is a, is a short time to go from nothing to, to self-sustainability. You guys say here, it take, any church that's going to be self-sustaining will be self-sustaining within three years. I think in London it's three to five so what we want to try to do is use our network, promote what they're doing, and plunder patrons, so that we can um, so we can actually fund them for another couple of years to see whether actually they can get to that point of sustainability. 
But all these guys, a lot of them were starting with nothing. We wanted to get them to about 40, because at 40, you're kind of about breaking even. So let me ask you some questions, just to probe in. Who are we with the lights off? Just so you can see this, all you need on the right. Being children of the dark. Just just probe a little bit, and I might leave that one on, because I want to come back to this a little bit later. Um, Some of the cultural issues. Yeah. See, England, um, we lived in England, we, there's a little bit of culture stress, and so it's not culture shock, everything feels familiar at some level, but yeah. there are things that are slightly different as well, which didn't, you know, the post offices over there, which is bizarre, I don't know what was going on there with that, um, but that was just those little things that kind of threw a different, yeah. you kind of identify what, what are the cultural and, and social things that make planting hard in London? Yeah, okay, so I think about I think of those under three headings. So there are, I think, some cultural distinctives. Um, so I think there is a suspicion and increasingly a hostility in London towards evangelical Christianity. So it's it's the world of one Peter. Um, we're not suffering the smash of persecution, it's not violent, but it's the squeeze. It's the squeeze, not the smash. And we are being forced into the world's way of thinking. And I think you guys, if you're, I think if you're in Sydney, um, I suspect it's pretty similar. Um, but there is a, it's gone from sort of quirky to now being, yeah, this is unhelpful. We don't want this in the marketplace. So the kind of stuff that, um, that Rory was beginning to touch on. Um, so, you know, it's the usual things, isn't it? So gender roles, um, sexual ethics, um, beginning and end of life stuff. Christian, biblical Christians have distinct views, and it's pretty hard to hide those. Um, and so, it's, I think we've got a tough job persuading people that the gospel is good news. Um, so somehow the world now thinks that, that, that the good news is bad news, um, and so that's that's the culture into which we're planting. Um, the Church of England, sadly, is still the public face of Christianity in the United Kingdom, uh, particularly in, in England, uh, and that's not a good thing, uh, because the Church of England is essentially two churches. Uh, you've got the church that believes the Bible and wants to change the culture, and you've got the church that believes the culture and wants to change the Bible. They've got the power, um, and they've got the microphone. We've got the people, we've got the money, why? Because we've got the gospel. But we've just got no leverage. And so overwhelmingly, the diocese won't welcome evangelicals. Or if you, if you get in, you've got to get in under the radar, or you've got to be the kind of person that everyone looks at them and says, yeah, they'll be fine. They'll be collaborative and they'll, they'll, yeah, they'll, play, they'll play team. They won't look at people who are going to be awkward. Now that plays out in London because north of the river is the Diocese of London, uh, south of the river is the, the Diocese of Southwark. This is being taped, isn't it? Will it go on the website? Yes. Okay. So north of the river, historically, the Bishop of London has been hugely helpful. So <laughs> largely... <laughs> That's true. No, no. I should say, I'll have you pause it. There's a bunch, yeah, helpful. that's great. Okay. Uh, principally because of his relationship with both St. Helens, which is um, card-carrying, flag-waving, um, uh, sort of uh, hot props evangelicals. I mean, there's no flag-waving that happens at St. Helens, just to be clear. Uh, William Taylor would turn it. Uh, but, and then you've got sort of charismatic Christianity with HDB. Big, powerful, uh, and the bishop 
knows how to back a winner and has and has made, given them opportunities, which is great. So uh, guys like us who are smaller, later to the game, we've been given opportunities to plant in some places. So this, the principal strategy becomes, Bishop, where can you give us a place? So St. Michael's Fullwell. I mean, no one here I imagine has ever heard of Fullwell. I lived in London for the last 20 years. I had no idea where Fullwell is. But the, the building became available, and, it's, and under Ed's leadership, it's flown. But that's, that's kind, of an old, kind of an old strategy. Uh, south of the river, we've actually, I think, had to be more strategic in our thinking about where we plant, because the Church of England has not been an option for us. So it, it's, it's a hostile, um, there's real hostility towards the gospel uh, for, the, for the Anglicans. Now, we're cross-denominational. So uh, some of us are Church of England, um, others are Free Church Baptists. There's a right, a right old mix. We just, we just want to plant evangelical churches in London. Um, so north of the river, it's been easier to do. South of the river, um, harder to do, but it forces us to be strategic. So that's the, cult, so that's the cultural stuff um, and the ecclesiastical stuff as well. So I, my impression is, for example, so I think in Sydney, you guys are opening up opportunities for gospel, um, for plants in situations that we won't get. So in other words, most of our planting happens without a building. So we have to rent. Uh, which puts some costs up. Um, the schools might say no, um, and you're always boxing and coxing, you're setting up church, putting down church, all that kind of stuff. So there's a, there's a level of grind that comes with that. So that's the that's this. And then I think finally, I think there is a, what I've called a ministerial, which is, oh, just use, I don't know why I did that. But, um, we are a risk averse culture. So I love coming here. Because you guys, and I love having Aussies and South Africans who come into our congregation, because you guys temperamentally, I think, are a bit more can-do, will-do. Whereas we're, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. And so we're not an entrepreneurially-minded culture, whereas I get the impression here you are. Now, if that's your ministerial culture, we're actually quite conservative in what we're prepared to consider. So when someone comes along and says, I'd like you to plant a church, I think you've got the skills to do so, I'll give you £20,000... Um, you haven't got any people, but here's a Bible, um, and here's a place. Do you want to give it a go? Overwhelmingly, most Brits would say, you've got to be kidding me. Um, if you come out of theological college and you can go into a job, which gives you a house, a pension, and £25,000 a year, you'll do that. And so the, the predominant way of reaching England has been, let's go into churches that either haven't worked out I'm an evangelical, or they're so dead on their feet that they're finally willing to say, come in and do something. So the kind of entrepreneurially, strategically driven church planting, which goes, where would be a great place to plant a church, hasn't happened quickly. And our kind of planting, this pioneering church planting, um, wouldn't be widely embraced amongst my reformed evangelical constituency. It would normally be the bigger churches gathering a crowd of somewhere like 50 to 100 people to get something off the ground. Now that is church planting, but it's not really, is it? Because as soon as you start, you're not running... It's not, that's not a church plant. That's just a small church. Um, so what we've... So these guys are having to have work with different skills. So those are the obstacles. Obstacles. Cult, culturally, suspicion of Christianity. We look a bit like a cult because we're not Church of England. We haven't got a Victorian building. Ecclesiastically, the Church of England is not falling over itself to give us opportunities. Um, and the, the FIEC is still slightly wedded to revitalisation as the way to reach the country. And ministerially, most people think it's just too risky to do it. Why would you do that? That sounds nuts. 
just, just to say, I, I'm going I'm to exaggerate things a little bit to make the point. So there would be really good mates of mine that would want me to be a bit more nuanced in what I'm saying. Um, and they're probably right. But if I kind of push it a bit, um, it's, it's not as bleak as that, you know? Yeah. Well, this is quite remarkable in terms of how many people, even with uh, some struggling, the fact that you've been able to get this many plants off the ground in this short of time is quite remarkable. Um, just a couple of coins and think in, in Australian context, then I might have a couple of questions we push back. Some of the things that we've noticed is uh, in terms of the, uh, the cultural and social issues uh, that have inhibited uh, things. Part, part of it is well, what we've seen work is when churches create microcultures of um, where church planning and MTS and ministry is the norm. And so they become, you, you can look at a number of churches and there are a whole number of plants coming out of those churches. And it's not because a particular personality type just happens to live in a postcode. It's because those churches are nurturing and they talk about those things as norms. Um, it's like why when, you know, during the 90s, so many people went through MTS. Uh, so it was the norm if you went through New South Wales Uni. You, know, you couldn't complete your degree unless you did MTS. Um, and so there's that sense in which it became the norm for what you did. And so churches are creating microcultures um, which make church planning normal. Uh, we're not quite on that thing as entrepreneurial as Americans, but um, yeah. I think the second thing is the, um, uh, in terms of the uh, what church plants are finding hard is when they go and plant, uh, the opposition comes not necessarily from the culture that's expected, it actually often comes from the churches which are more, most closely theologically aligned to them. That's where the pushback comes. If you're an if you are an Anglican and you plant within five kilometre radius of an Anglican church, for example, yeah, your your most vocal opposition will be the Anglicans down the road. Um, that will be the strongest pushback um, because the Charismatics don't see it as a threat, Pentecostals don't see it as a threat. Even the Baptists, um, when we played a village church, the Baptists were welcome. In fact, they had me at their service, and the minister had said, "If anyone would like to go and plant with Derek in his church, feel free." Uh, yeah, the Presbyterians didn't do that, um, surprisingly. Um, so yeah, the, the biggest pushback we're seeing is from those who are most closely aligned with where you are, which is why um, we want to say to people who are planting, go and speak to everyone in your area. Go and speak to every minister in your area, uh, not because it will solve all the problems, but because actually we want to be upfront about what we're doing. Uh, we want to be clear where we're planting, how you want to start the right foot. And the last thing we say is that we just want to speak about the lost, not yep. church growth. We want to keep speaking about the lost. That's why we're planning this area. You know, your church might be 100, you might think we're a threat, but actually there's 30,000 people around you who don't know the gospel. That's why we're planning. Yeah. All right, anyone have any questions for Richard on that one, on the cultural, social? Might be a red herring. I'm just being challenged here this day to ask. Is that yeah? You talk about the culture of, of London. Yeah. Is that TV show Red? Yeah. Is that, is, does that glory like? You know, I'm just trying to get my head around you know, where London's at, especially you know, does it portray somewhat close to where London is at the moment with that the Church of England, or is it just Hollywood fight and just London? No, it's not. It's not bad actually. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, so there's a Brim episode in that where. Uh, where the big, powerful, charismatic church come in and offer yeah, smoothies. That's, 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 yeah. that's HTB. They're having, a, they're having a dig at HTB there. 
Right. Um, no, it's to be. It, that's that's not what they're trying to do, but it's, it's that kind of. Just, some people are saying what's real. Holy Tr- Holy Trinity Brompton is uh, um, it, it's the home of Alpha. Right. If you come across Alpha, which I'm, has that made has that made it here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so. Um, yeah, so Holy Trinity Brompton. So they would be they're, they're charismatics, and they're usually Armenian charismatics, not Reformed charismatics. Yeah. Um, and that and that's what char- that, historically that's what charismaticism has been in the UK from about the 60s, 70s onwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, only now are we beginning to understand actually, you know, you you can be charismatic and reformed like John Piper. Um, and that's okay. So we're kind of having to recalibrate a bit, but um, yeah. So that's not a million miles away. And they, what you've got there is this slightly ineffectual but likable bloke who's ungodly in the background, sort of running church for a few social misfits, um, and everyone can kind of get behind you as long as they don't have to pay for it. Yeah, that's right. And you think, give me that building, I'll, I'll run a proper congregation in there that loves the people who live around it, that does, looks after the socially needy but at the same time preaches the gospel with clarity. But yeah, that's, it's not a million miles away from what London is like. Um, yeah. Is the vicar of Dibley quite accurate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a million miles away in the country, yeah. I mean, it's, not, I mean, it's yeah. Le- yeah, less so. I'm sure we've all said in deacons and leadership meetings in Dallas. Yeah, that's true. It's a while since I've seen it. But it's, it's yeah. So I just at one, I, I reckon uh, is that this is, I can't work out what's going on here, on here at the moment. I think there are two things that are striking for me coming into Sydney. Number one is there is a culture of wanting to be a planter, and I just it's just that's extraordinary for me, and I think it's brilliant. Um, and it's, it's perhaps it's not just Sydney, sorry, Australia coming here and realizing. So you guys have an assessment process in which you say no to some people. I think that's brilliant. Uh, we have an assessment process, but I'm having to drag people into it to persuade them to do it. Um, and then I assess them and you think, mm, I'm not sure they're quite right. But that's okay, because we need some planters, so let's get them on the bus anyway. And you think, well, why have we, why have we done that? So that, that we are not raising up loads. And I think it's because we've taken our eye off the microculture ball. So we used to have an MTS equivalent. We have got it at the moment. We're, it, because we've concentrated on planting, We've forgotten about training guys. So my job as the Antioch director ought to be really easy. I ought, on a Wednesday morning when we have our MTS equivalent, I ought to walk into morning tea, look around the room, see half a dozen lads that I want to have coffee with and say, and give them the nod, say, look, we need to talk about church planting. And, and in one sense, they're hoping that I'll have that conversation with them. Um, we haven't quite had that. Which is why we have been, I heard you, yeah. MTS. The, the other thing is, I think our growth has come third, third, third. It's, look, I haven't got stats on it, it's, it's anecdotal, but when the numbers are so small, you can work it out. I reckon a third of our growth has come from transfer growth. A third of our growth has come from conversion growth. A third of our growth has come from revitalization of the dormant faith. You know, now. A third, tra- London is the place of transfer. We're, we're, you know, we're, London is not like England. It's a different country. It's a completely different country. So the re- we had a recession, but it didn't really touch London. And the rest, and the rest, and the most of the North hates us for it, and for lots of other reasons beside. But we are net receivers of people, so we get twenty somethings coming coming in the whole time. 
If you've got people graduating coming into London for their first job, that's rich pickings of slicing up the Christian pie. So they get saved at university amongst the AFES equivalent ministries. They come to London where they're going to go to church. Well, if you're running a church plant, you want a slice of that pie. And so you are plundering your networks to get that. And those guys have been sensible. They've done that. Um, Ed uh, is over in sort of Twickenham, Teddington, Fullwell direction. There, there was no significant evangelical church around them. And so you had maroon disciples who kind of settled for a church that they needed to go to, but they couldn't quite get excited by. Ed comes along, does exactly what they want, guess what? In they come. So that church is, is over 100 now, um, which for us is extraordinary growth in our context. And that's come from transfer growth. A third is conversion. So, for example, uh, with, yeah, so Malcolm, brilliant evangelist, great personal worker, absolutely chaotic. Um, strate- not, not a strategic bone in his body. Last year, this time last year, their church was 15, and I'm thinking, I've got a, okay, a painful conversation is coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Okay, I'll go, right, listen. I talked to him, five of the people there have been converted in the previous six months. And you think, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? A third of the congregation converted out of nothing. You think, why am I having this conversation about closing down a church? I mean, even if it costs £60,000 for three years, that's £60,000 well spent. Keep going, Malcolm, let's see if we can find you some more money. Um, and that's and that's pretty, so that and then a third has come from people who kind of deep not I don't know whether they've they've stopped going to church for whatever reason. So yeah, we, I think in the states we, we refer to that as kind of the dean church. Okay. Um, I think in our study we we've, we've worked out in Australia it's about a third is dean churched and converted. Yeah. Um, yeah, is where it is. Uh, I think in the first three years it's about for average plants about three, four, and four people are converted each year. In that. So yeah. genuine conversions, no church factor. We're finding the gospel taking root amongst the immigrant populations more so. Uh, so younger, so the younger white Anglo's um, immigrant populations. We're you know, classically <coughs> um, young families or older families finding it hard to make tra- to gain traction there. Yeah. Just uh, so, uh, Toby made a comment last night that, that ruffled a few feathers with people. I think Lee's phone was running red hot. Um, with questions, uh, he made a comment about going and grabbing people uh, from in order to start. Um, now, if you talk to Toby, it's much more nuanced than that. So, <laughs> Toby's not in the room, so I want to say Toby's much more nuanced. I've heard that from Andrew Hurt, and it wasn't more nuanced. Wasn't more nuanced. <laughs> Andrew's not known for his nuance, so no, it's not true. Um, that really that that upset us when we heard it. Yeah, yeah. So, so some of our guys uh, would be really upset with that because of their you know, ecclesiological convictions. Um, but then, you know, but every church planter knows what it's like. You just want people, don't you? You want people, you want people, you want to plunder. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm, we've tried to avoid sheep stealing. Sheep, goat getting, not sheep stealing. That's what we're after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard. But I, I heard Ed Spencer a number of years ago. He said, we. I think this is the other, probably a nice way of saying it, is in Australia we, or in America he said, I offer fishing licenses. People come yeah. and, and it might be like his context, I think, years ago was, we're in, here's our church, we want to do a church plant, and the guy comes along and says, yeah, we want to do a church plant. And then here in Australia we go, well that's great, but you can't have yeah. these guys, where he says, well who, who do you want to talk to? 
you're more than happy to talk to those guys. And I think that then comes back to, to expand it out. If we've spoken to the local pastors and they know what we're doing, hopefully, as you said, yeah, the Baptist guy said to you, who wants to go join? Who wants to go join Derek? Yeah, no, he, yeah but he's, he's given the fishing license. Yeah, yeah. He's issued that fishing license. So having a look at it that way as opposed to sheep stealing, well, if you go, you, you can sheep steal, well, it's still, but I think that's where we need to see that. As, we, the reason we did this was because a lot of our senior pastors, like me, were stretched trying to grow our churches. So my best mate, uh, Matt Fuller, runs Christchurch Mayfair in the centre of town. A third, he loses a third of his congregation every year because it's just the churn of the central London church. So in other words, he's got to grow by a third to stay the same. Now that is some pressure to live under um, because that's got implications for your staff team. Because you know the budget comes in, and of course, in in the centre of town, what you've got is people who are cash rich, time poor. Yeah. So you've got to have a large staff team. So Matt's got a large staff team, but he's got to pay for it. And then if a third are going and they're taking their money with them, there's a, there's an anxiety about that. So we wanted to try to launch new churches without adding to the burden of people. So if I said to Matt, Matt, you, you know you're a church of you know three hundred, you must be able to give us fifty people. He's like. Stop it right now. <laughs> no, there's no fishing license here. And you, you think, okay, that's all right. Now, so we deliberately try to go around the churches and say, we'll try and launch to, find launch teams from our networks, and we might be able to take one or two from a number yeah. of different places um, to, to get something together. But there was an intention to deliberately try to grow church branches that grew primarily in their intent through evangelism rather than plundering churches that... Um, yeah, though sometimes, you know, my, my frustration sometimes with central London churches is you go there, you get a fabulous meal and you sit there and you just, you, you puce it and you just gorge and you get, you've got no exercise because there's no, no job to do, but you're just getting fat on this brilliant teaching. The danger is out. Oops. You've got, <laughs> um, you've got guys with less good teaching. They're just, they're, they're you know, working really, really, really hard. And I, I want to get those guys that are pew-sitting and they're not participating, they're just consuming and put them to work. So planting does that, doesn't it? I mean, brilliant. Yeah. The middle, exposure to the middle management, I think, was Rory's phrase today. Mm. So. All right, let's keep going. Uh, second question, just for you to reflect on. Um, in terms of individual church planters, um, what have you found in these circumstances makes a... It seems like a bad way to phrase it. What, what is the... What are the characteristics of a planter uh, that generally launches well uh, and is able to see people further and establish and gather people? Um, so look, I think it's it's Sydney stuff. Now, I've heard this before, and I'm pretty sure it's from you guys from MTS. We talk about convictions, character, and competency. So in other words, they've got to believe some stuff. Um, character, they've got to be some stuff. Competency, they've got to do some stuff. You know, it's it's those three big things that think about amongst. Let me give you anecdotally, and then let me give you what I'm looking for. And a lot of this stuff will be familiar, but the, the kind of for pioneering church planting, here's what I've observed. One, quality leaders, not all with theological college degrees, um, but they are they're strong leaders, they're quality leaders. You look at them and you go, yeah, you know, he's got a bit about him. He's influential, he's capable of leading both himself, his family, and other people follow him. They, he takes people. I, I can't remember what Andrew's definition. My definition of leadership is something like you take people where they don't want to go. 
They, they can do that. that. That's one key characteristic. So church planting is not the place to learn how to lead. Now, we're all learning to lead, but, you know, it's not... You know, these are people's lives at stake. You know, you're leading a congregation, it's not the place to learn to lead. So I think that's been one thing I've observed. Secondly, um, did Scott talk about planting pregnant? Yes, he did. That's Ed Stetzer's phrase, I think. Um, all, all of the guys who've flown had previous church planting experience, either as a, an assistant minister, many as apprentices. So... I think church plants are the best place to do a ministry training. I, so Dundonald is our, is our single largest church, it's where Richard Coden is the senior pastor. I think it's a rubbish place to do um, uh, a, a ministry traineeship because you're never going to get in the pulpit because it's going to be Richard and the other, other senior staff. Um, you're never really going to do the kids front up front because you've got Ed Drew, who's just brilliant at doing kids work. So a lot of limited opportunities. But you know, come to Ballam back in the day when we were 25 and it was just me, well, you know, we're sharing the preaching load, 60-40, 70-30, whatever it is. You just get loads of on-the-job experience. And the guys who've planted well are the guys who've had experience already. Um, thirdly, the other key thing, they've been mentored by senior pastors in an ongoing way. So I looked after Alex. Um, uh, Mike and John T were looked after a guy called Trevor Archer, who's one of the key guys within the FIC. Uh, where else? Um, Bruce Andrew looked after um, Ed at St Michael's Fullwell. Um, yeah, those are the key ones. Um, Mike Reith is just is classic. I mean, this has been a senior pastor for 25 years at Dagenham Parish Church. Um, last Easter, or the Easter three years ago, he was coming to retirement. Um, he had he wore, he did his last ever Easter service. They all knew it was happening. The team of 15 of them walked out of the congregation. And they started their afternoon congregation in a neighbouring parish where there was no decent evangelical ministry. Um, and they've been going for three years and they've built their entire ministry on door knocking. Um, and it's brilliant. But he is, you know, he is establishment. He's been doing, he's done the hard yards, so quality leader, and he's kind of been self-mentoring. But there's they, that kind of, that dynamic. Um, I think also it's worth saying, the guys that have flown are those who look low risk on paper. You know, in other words, you look at it and you think, yeah, that'll, that'll probably work. Uh, and in one sense, that's obvious, isn't it? But we've taken some risks, and guess what? Some of the bigger risks doesn't look like it's working out. So who would have thought that planting with a Korean into a Bangladeshi community was a sensible idea? Well, I didn't. And I mean, all of us thought, well, you know, but, you know, let's give it a go. Why not? Could work. Joseph was entrepreneurially minded. He had some initial contacts there. He thought... Why not? And we thought, with a guy that had been converted, Joseph wasn't the guy to build the congregation, but we thought he was the guy to get the guy. And we, and we thought he'd got the guy. Um, but it turns out not. Um, and then I think also, it's just worth saying, the churches that have flown um, have done so with ministers who've been resourced. So in other words, Ed Kendall here is quality. Uh, three years on the staff at St Peter's Fulham, uh, three years at Oak Hill, He's an ex-teacher at one of the posh public schools in the West London. He's a quality character. So the church says, yes, here are 25 of our people. You don't look risky. We'll entrust them to you. And so it's been easier to give them a fishing licence because the minister thinks, yeah, they'll be looked after. The you know, Lord Sheep will be well looked after. But I think in those, in those areas, I mean, you'll know this, the conviction stuff, I think um, the doctrine of justification by faith makes a world of difference to criticism. 
The doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture clarifies for you how you run your ministry. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God means you can sleep at night and not be anxious about the fact that your church isn't growing. There are a whole load of decent doctrines that go deep, that when believed, shape what you do and enable you to cope with stuff. Do you know what? I planted a church and it didn't work, and that's okay. Jesus loves me. Yeah, that's all right. You know, I'm, I'm not the best church planter in the world, and that's okay, because Jesus is on the throne. Um, so, it's the, so that conviction stuff really matters. I think in character, the one thing I would say, to go from 0 to 40, I, I can't imagine this is rocket science for you guys, people's relational skills are disproportionately significant. And I, by that I mean and, and team, husband and wife, hospitality. They've got to love people. They, they're interpersonal skills, their ability to get on with people. Um, it, it has to do with influence as well, but to be people people, to go from 0 to 40 is just massive, because the reason they're joining the plant, you can talk about casting vision, but everyone knows it's dream stuff, because there's only 12 of you sat around the living room. Why are they coming? Because you've persuaded them, and they like you, and they like your wife, they think your kids are great, if you've got kids or whatever. So I think people skills are disproportionately significant to go from 0 to 40. So on that, um, yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking, as, as Toby was uh, reflecting last time on point one, um, but the, uh, the family dynamic, yeah. um, he was saying people come for each other, I think is true. But I was thinking what you're saying is, well, actually, as much as we want to shy away from that, when someone comes to a public meeting, um, they will, I reckon there are two key things they will be looking for. Um, assuming you know the theology is kind of on party, you know, teaching heresy. Two key things: one is are they welcomed by people? Like, do people talk to them? The second is what do I think of the person up the front? Okay. No one wants to admit that, really, because you know people. It's it's a blow to my pride if they don't come back. Then. But the reality is, actually, uh, they will assess whether they come back based on what they see up the front. And that's hard. We need to work out how to talk through that, think through that wisely and well, but own it as well. Um, yeah. I think one of the things I've observed as well about competencies is I want people who are analytical so they can see and perceive stuff. But some of the problems we've had with some of our planters is they know all the problems, they're just not prepared to live with them. And I think as a church planter going from 0 to 40, you've got to live with imperfection. Because it and be comfortable with it and just say, do you know what, it doesn't matter. Now, I don't know what that's, for you guys I imagine that's not a massive problem because you're can do, but for us it's a reason that you shouldn't do. Uh, and, and so I can think of one planter and it's been an absolute nightmare. And you think, you're right, everything you've told me about what's wrong with this plan is absolutely right. We can't change anything of it. We could just call it quits or we can find a way of working through it or around it or whatever. So you have to be both analytical but willing to live with it. And I think sometimes you just, there is that, just, I'm just going to keep going. So I'll often use the illustration of, I think church planting from 0 to 40 is like pushing a boulder up a hill. And at some point, that boulder just gets beyond a tipping point. And it just gets a little bit easier. But in those early days, you are at, you just, you're just pushing, 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 and you can't stop, because if you do, you're back down to, you're back down. And I, I think there's a limited time beyond which it's not going to do anything. So if you have, if you have a, a sort of planting formula, which is I work with, you need a place to plant with a planter who's up for it, who's formulated a clear plan, recruited a group of people, found some patrons to fund it, and you're praying for the providential blessing of God, that's the formula for success. 
Now, you want all of those things in place, and you kind of push this thing and trying to build in each of those areas. Um, there comes a point which you're stagnant, and I don't think you can restart it. You've got to get the momentum going. And if the momentum doesn't come, it's done. The only way you can change it is to effectively change the, the church plant. You either change the plan, you throw resources at it, or you change the planter. And that's just a different church plant. Um, so I think you've got to have someone who kind of works those things out and says, you know what, I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to quit. This is going to happen. It's going to happen. To go from 10 to 20 takes a while. To go from 20 to 40 probably takes a little bit less, actually. It's a crowd that attracts a crowd. But those early days, hard, hard, hard. So in the early days when we planted Balham, we'd have people who'd come to us and they'd say, I love what you're doing. It's brilliant. I like it. This is terrific. But you're still too small. Now, part of that is the urge to merge. If you're a 20-something, you're looking for your life partner. And you look around and you think, there are a lot of couples in here and the blokes are really ugly. I'm going to central London. <laughs> Go to a beautiful church. Um, so they do that. Um, but, wonderfully, some people stayed. And we went from t- you know, going from 25 to 30, and 30 up to 40. And then it just, it, there was a point in which it, it's the people were arriving. That was, un- that was unusual for us. What was the original question? Oh, I don't know, but I'll ask you a question. Um, you have a time frame in mind there? How no, long is too long? See, that's just, I don't know. I just think it's, uh, you know, church planting is an art as well as a science, isn't it? And I think it's that, it's, a, it's having a group of people who just ask the hard questions and say, do you know what? I don't think time is going to make a difference here because something in this formula isn't quite right. And honestly, lots of the time, I think it's the planter. So church planting is really easy, isn't it, retrospectively. You get the right guy in the right place at the right time. (laughs) But you do it retrospectively. So Tim Keller, yeah, of course, it's the right bloke in the right place at the right time. I wonder if you took Tim Keller and put him in, I don't know, Sydney in in the 1970s, would it have worked? Don't know. Don't know. It's not a a given, though, is it? It's not a guarantee. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I think what we're seeing a little bit is it, often it's a two to three year mark that we want people to reassess. Like if they're still struggling to yes. get for two to three mark, it's not to say, like I can think of a few churches who are probably still in that 30 to 40 mark after three, four, five years in fact. And we're still saying to them, just keep plugging away. Yeah. Uh, like a friend up here, you know, seeing converts, but you know, it's hard ground, just keep plugging away and it's circumstantial. But if you feel like, um, you, there's the planter who's had a plan and there's people initially with them, they've had money at some point, that two to three year mark you kind of reassess and think what went wrong what decisions did we, did we not make that we needed to make or make badly uh, possibly redistribute resources. One of the things we're thinking about and it, I mean, we, it's hard because so someone like Malcolm let me talk, uh, just, just a terrific man um, and has evangelised the church into existence in the, in the kindness of God they've grown and you wonder, is he the guy to take it from 25 where it currently is, up to 80 I'd be surprised without a lot of help or with him, without him learning a whole load of, of management skills you think actually there aren't that many people that go from 0 to 25 that's an extraordinary thing but there are probably some people who could take a church of 40 and kick it on because they're just differently wired temperamentally. They can, they can think about that stuff. 
And I look at myself, and I wonder, I, was, I think I was quite good at going 0 to, 0 to 40, 0 to 40. And I wondered uh, a while ago whether that's actually what I should have done. But pretty high cost for my family. We'd have to move um, suburb every three to five years. But I wonder whether someone like Matt, we should say about Matt, you can do that. And then we can bring someone like Peter Taylor, who is brilliant at systems, bring him in. Um, and, and look, this is, we're just getting to the end of cohort one. We're about to discover and talk about all the mistakes we made. Um, and so we'll do some things differently. But I wonder whether there's some value in that. But I think you're right on the two to three year thing. I think to some people you need to say, out of kindness to them, look, let's get you back into the mothership. Let's transition you out into another world. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe any questions for I wonder if you can segue onto recognition or what worked well as multiple male leaders. Yeah. So you know you're talking about the church planner and church planner. How do you how do you get multiple male leaders and what's their role or what? Uh, and would that be helpful? And uh, like I'm working with a, a church plant that two other families started. But I'm kind of the third man in. But all three of us can preach. All three of us have different dynamics. We don't have a lot of people, but we have that in place. And the new housing development in the area is still new. So, uh, I, you know, when you say that multiple male leaders, you know, you're talking about one that maybe is finance, but others are uh, developed. In, lay elders, yeah, I, I'm talking. To? I'm talking principally about raising guys from the context. Now, someone like Neil um, down in Croydon on a benefits class estate, uh, a lot of absent guys, a lot of um, or uh, yeah, I haven't got him on there, but Jay Mariner down in Brixton. There's there's no such thing as the black family. He says it's a myth. Um, so Jay's. Um, black British himself it just says there's no such there's no, no dads anywhere so what do I do there I don't know I don't know we have to perhaps buy some guys in and we have Neil he's saying it's a struggle these guys can't take responsibility they don't you know the only responsibility they want to take for themselves is how to plunder the benefit system so they've got money um, and they're brilliant at it but they don't want to step up and take responsibility for people um, and they're big, they're big, they are, they're su such, there is such social dysfunction in Croydon that he is effectively the dad to all the kids and the husband to all the wives. Now, he knows that's not ideal, but that's kind of how it... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I read my Bible. I had to come to more college to learn that. <laughs> didn't cover that um, but, it, but in effect that's what's going on you think that's disastrous so the big question they're asking is how do I raise leaders in a context like that and but that's I don't know the answers he's got to work them out he's he's in situ so in other words that idea of I, so I think I'm talking about one of the roadblocks I think to preventing our church from growing is secondly ministry multiplication if it's just Neil doing the work that's a significant roadblock to growth. He needs to multiply himself. He needs someone else doing what he's doing. And he needs someone who's training someone. So in other words, get more people doing ministry. And I'm talking about word ministry. I'm talking about preaching one-to-one, -one, small group ministry, evangelism, all that kind of stuff. So it's about finding the guys. What are they? Faithful, available, and teachable. Find the fat guys. And, and the blokes worth watching, take them aside and, teach and invest in them.
And they've got to start from a long way back, so no one's tertiary educated there. Whereas in, in my congregation, I can count the number of people on the fingers of one hand, and, it's, and I still have several fingers left over, for people who haven't got degrees. And that's just weird. But it's representative of the area. So I've got lots of lay lead, potential lay leaders, but he hasn't. But that doesn't mean you can't be a leader, a male, and be influential in that context, because there are drug dealers. Drug, drug dealers know how to organize. They know how to lead. So the potential's there. They just, they just gotta work out how to do it in that context. Yeah, it's a good example, actually. I was thinking, um, not, I'm not complaining. Um, <laughs> I was thinking one of the challenges, um, I think, in, in uh, going into this, particularly when you're playing, is you are the guy. So you're the guy who does everything. Mm. And the adjustment to move between barriers, growth barriers, isn't just an adjustment in structures, it's an adjustment in yourself. So Craig Tucker has a great seminar, he runs on scaling up leadership, and if you ever hear Bernie talk about some of this stuff, he often talks really helpfully through um, ideas that are, are talked about by a guy named Ram Sharan in leadership development. So it's leading self, leading others, uh, leading, um, teams. Lead, leading teams or leaders, and then leading organisations, and they are significant jumps up. And so you might be able to do ministry, but do you know how to teach other people how to do ministry? Uh, then you might know how to teach other people how to do ministry, but do you know how to lead through others? Yeah. And then do you know how to lead through an organisation so you're leading leaders who are leading leaders? They are significant jumps in skills. And if you can't manage that, um, then <coughs> the growth of the church will stall at where you are. And it may be, and that's, that's okay, I think that some people wired that way. It may be that you just might be the guy who gets it to one point and then you say, I'm going to hand it on to a... Um, this we've kind of moved over. Unless anyone else has got any questions, I just want to keep talking about the roadblocks. So the roadblocks in the first few years. Um, so we've touched on them already. Into just a, um, a few things from that one, just on Geneva stuff. This is one of the reasons why we talk about assessments so much. Bang on about it. I look around the room, bloody got to for assessment anyway. So I'm going to kind of you know drag up bad memories of it. It's a, it's a rigorous process. It's a, it's a, a not a kind of feeling a, a two-page survey monkey form and we'll say yes or no. It's it's a, a rigorous process because we want to give uh, helpful feedback surrounded by people who have planted churches, for people who are planting churches in all these areas to help people think wisely as to whether um, both they are gifted towards that way, whether uh, as a couple and a family this is good for them, the place they're going into as well, um, they've thought through whether they fit there, um, so assessment is a, is a big thing, um, assessment partly because, uh, as again, Craig Tucker uh, says very helpfully, I think the, the, it's who you say no to who is a, uh, a good indicator of how much you value church uh, We want to help people say no, this is not where I should be or where I can best serve the kingdom actually, I can best serve the kingdom actually, as well as to say yes. So just, this is the last one. Oh no, we've got two more actually. We've got a little bit of time. There'll be time for questions as well. You talk about some of the roadblocks you've seen, things that have really yeah. stunted growth. You touched on a couple yeah. there uh, okay. in the first few years. So the, the, I think there are five that have stru struck us. Firstly, leadership shortcomings. Um, it's just to say, actually, I think who the planter is is disproportionately significant. Um, now the truth is, there is the ideal church planter, and you can read every church planting book and you'll see it listed. And um, 
you know, in my better moments, I think I'm, I've got all of those qualities. But the truth is, I haven't. And none of our, none of our planters have. Um, you know, none, none of us is the Lord Jesus. Um, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and he was a fairly unsuccessful church planter, um, wasn't he? Just, just 12 people by the time that he was done and dusted. So that's worth remembering. <laughs> um, but leadership shortcomings, what do I mean by that? Um, um, it's worth saying, none of, we've, we've worked with the non-ideal and tried to supplement it through our network. So we reckon there are three levels of support. There is denominational support, big, high-level stuff. There is regional support in, in areas where there's collaboration and cooperation church planting, and then there's local. And what we're trying to do in London is be local, because I can have everyone in the whole of London in the centre within an hour, which means we can do some stuff locally, and we can meet each other, and we can supplement our weaknesses through the use of a local network. So, in other words, it's not just, here you go, off, you know, there you are, on your own, trying to work out how to do this church planting, and just, you know, we'll call in every day, we'll have an hour's Skype uh, every month just to find out how you're going. Um, we think we, we can work with less than ideal, as we all are, and try and supplement some of those weaknesses through, through, through a network. But leadership shortcomings in terms of not being the kind of character who could do it with some... Ina- We've, met, we've, made, we've not made any compromises in convictions. So in other words, we are not about to promote anything less than what we understand to be a right understanding of the Bible. So no, no compromises there at all. In terms of character and competency, we probably have. So we've planted with, if I said we've planted with Eeyore-type characters, you know, rather than, pig, um, rather than Tiggers. Tiggers are always excitable. Everything, you know, you know, Eeyores are kind of... They, they turn the hot, they'll always find the dark cloud in the silver lining. Um, we've, and that's, that's an interesting dynamic, but we can work together. We've planted with people who are not strategically good at planning. So, for example, I said fourth, one of the roadblocks is strategic planning. Um, in other words, I try and say to our guys, it's very simple. Ask two, two questions. What are we trying to do and how are we trying to do it? Or rather, who are we trying to reach and how are we trying to reach them? That's it. If you haven't got answers to those two questions, it could work, <laughs> but, it, but it better to know who you're trying to reach and how you're trying to reach them. You've got to be able to articulate those two things. So strategic planning really matters. And a lot of our guys, I know it sounds really simple, but they just don't think that one through. They don't think, who are we after? Who, who, which people are we particularly going to try and reach with the gospel? And then, okay, how would that work? Um, what would be the best ways of doing that? You've got, and then the key thing is just do it and keep doing it, and just don't quit. Um, so, so yeah. So leadership shortcomings are being one of, one of our major roadblocks, and that's that's not always catastrophic. It's not always catastrophic. Secondly, mentioned multiplication. What I was talking about. Um, so one of the earliest conversations I have with all of the planters went along the lines of who's your who's your next elder? Who's your first elder? Um, or I then say, who's your next Bible study leader? And they say, Berksworth, there's eight of us. It's me. Yeah, yeah, but who's your next one? Well, I don't need the next one. I've only got eight, I've got eight people. It's me. I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah. But at one point, you'll be 12. And at 12, you could divide into two of six. And you could train someone up to take that. And then those groups of six grow, whether they're doing Christianity sport or whether you're doing reading through the Bible together. So constantly multiplying yourself. So it's not just about being an evangelist, 
I think you've got to be a trainer to, to be a church planter. So it's not just someone who spends that whole time trying to engage with unbelievers. So you, that's a great, great thing. You've got to be someone who says, here is the congregation. Who can I raise up and train? Um, so that, that's what we're going to do. Um, thirdly, insufficient engagement. I'm amazed. So I, I, um, not in our network, a friend of mine, um, two years out, 24 people, uh, adults, really able uh, adults, wealthy, they're almost financially self-sustaining. Imagine that, 24 people paying for his full-time wage in a suburb that has no real alternative and there's still 24 after two years. So I went for coffee just to, you know, as a result of um, his old boss saying, can, can you just go and have a look? And I was am- no community engagement at all. And what I mean by that is, um, how do you engage an unbelieving community with the gospel? If, you're, if your only paradigm is the way that we're going to grow this church is through friendship networks, I think that places massive limitations on your growth. Um, you've got to understand the social geography of where you are, and the social geography of where we are is our guys have very few friends who live locally um, because they commute up into town. And so I constantly have to say to people, you need to do something else other than church in this locality. So I'm not, I've not been allowed to by the elders, but I want to say to my elders, no one is allowed to join any one of our small groups unless they're also a member of another group. So I've not been allowed by the elders to enforce that, but I have said it publicly up front. Yeah. We say a member of another group, a member of a community group. Yeah, so I'm a member of a cycling club. Um, or, you know, there's a group of girls who go, they join Bitch and Stitch, and, you know, that's what they do. But it's, in, wow. it's, a, it's involvement with something else where there are advantages and opportunities. But, so... So this one, uh, where are we here? So Beckham Tree. Their, their engagement was, we will door knock twice a week. You cannot belong to this church unless you're willing to be part of a group who goes out twice a week and door knocks. They've got an estate, it's a square, 20,000 people live within it. Mike knows exactly who they've gone to, what conversations they've had. He writes letters to all of them um, afterwards. It's, it's phenomenal, it's slow but it's deliberate and that's their community engagement. So the roadblock has been the field of dreams approach to church planting. Do you know what I mean by that? The kind of build it and they will come. Now that, that works if you want to grow by transfer growth. So if you want to do cool church, great. You'll empty out uncool church. Um, and I just don't think Jesus will applaud us for that. Um, so asking that question, how are we going to reach unbelievers with the gospel? So, classically, look at the footfall. Where do people go? For us, Balham Station. Between six and eight in the evening, it's just awash with 20-somethings as they come out and they go home. So we we target that, and we just advertise our church um, three, three times a year. We should do more. Street questionnaires. Saturday morning, we go outside Sainsbury's, which is our, our grocery store, big, big grocery store. And we could reach people and just advertise stuff. We could go door knocking. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff that we, we could do and should do, and in the early days we did. But we're now at that stage where we've got a reputation. Google is our front door. We've got no building. People at church. We can, we can survive at the moment on church growth. We're just not growing through evangelism. Or we are, but through friendship networks. So it's deliberate, intentional how we're going to reach people. Strategic planning talks about contextual difficulties. What are the roadblocks? Pretty hard for Neil 
to grow the church beyond 40. Because you can only be dad to a certain number of kids and husband to a certain number of women. Um, and they've got no money, so he can't, he can't replicate it. You know, he can't buy in extra help. So they've just got to work out how that happens. So there are, Matt Fuller, pretty hard. If you're having to grow by a third every year to replace those you've just lost, that's a, that's a roadblock. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking as you were doing about the, um, uh, the, the uh, strategic planning, it, if you're not clear on who you're going to reach and how you're going to reach, and you can actually plant a church uh, that grows to a point where you think you've planted a successful church planning. It's where you haven't actually done anything other than reach those who are already reached. Yeah. And I think that's a real danger of not being clear about where you're going and how you're going to reach. And not having metrics to measure. You know, how big is your church? 100? Is that successful? I don't know. Are those people Christians beforehand? Yeah. Were they going to church beforehand? Yeah, real clear. Um, uh, so I, I come to you guys, and I think you guys, I need to ask the question I'm asking is, I think you are, you are planting more churches than us, and you're growing bigger churches than us. And I want to know why. And I, I've got two answers. One is, you're better at it than us. Or secondly, it's easier here. Um, I'm not prepared to entertain the first. I'm a proud Brit. I can't believe you're not better than us. <laughs> but you could be. You probably are. But it's that, 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 that's striking for me. So, for example, to hear of churches that have grown to the degree that they have after the time that they've been given, I think is wonderful if that is predominantly evangelistic growth. If it's emptying out uncool church and moving people to cool church I'm uncomfortable with that unless it's leading to massive evangelistic growth in that congregation as well that would be you know so that, I think that's a question so I don't want to shift people around yeah I think in that, uh, some of our growth we've got over 20 years there's been um, movement from um, non-reformed okay that, that, that yeah. aren't actually believing yeah. in and I would call that maro- um, rescuing marooned disciples and I think that's okay. I don't want to plant a church necessarily to do that, though I can think of churches in London where that has happened and they've grown because that's exactly what's going on. So Ed would, Ed would say, actually, I got people from a couple of local churches that were kind of a couple of miles away because they wanted reformed evangelicalism. Yeah. And that's good for them, good for their families and good for the gospel. I'll just say three things I think I've noticed um, in terms of that, that kind of roadblocks. One is not enough clarity. I think people are, are clear enough about what they're trying to do and don't know how to measure that either. I know we don't like measuring stuff, um, but actually if we want to make sure that we're actually reaching who we're trying to reach, we have to have some way of measuring that. It's uncomfortable as that might be. Second is launching too early. Yeah. It's uh, a massive temptation and a massive danger. It will just rob you of momentum. Get launched too early, uh, and so we want to say to planters, hold off, hold off. Um, you can uh, change the date of your launch once. If you change it twice, uh, people start to lose confidence and drift away. Mm. Uh, by that, you, you'd be happy, wouldn't you? I assume with a a weekly gathering that isn't a public launch. So in other words, you could, yeah. you know, in your home, or perhaps even in a, in a school hall or whatever, yeah, yeah. but it's not the public launch yet, but we're doing church together, but yeah. we're not going to go big and public until this launch team has got to a, yeah, yeah. You know, a size. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Was anyone at the multi-site yesterday? 
I was going to claim this for myself. Um, <laughs> um, so he had this really helpful, Wade Burnett had this really helpful stuff, um, uh, IPO. Um, so what did the I stand for, Dan? A priority and an optional. Something priority and optional. Uh, priority, optional. Anyway, the first one is... Who at this initial? Uh, Wade Burnett. Uh, maybe let's say initial. I'm not sure that was it. I'll ask him. Um, yeah, he said um, one of the reasons for not for he said yeah yeah absolutely you you want me. One of the reasons we want to say to people don't go pub- publicly is because you want to have these things in place before you launch and have your your launch team on board with these things. So you want to know the kind of values that you have as a church. Not only your biblical kind of you know theological values, but what is it that you hold dear? You know, how will you hold Sunday gatherings? What will you do during the week? How will those the initial ministries that you will have? How will music run, kids ministry, those are things you have to have the initial thing. The the priorities are things which you uh, which you want to work on and you need to have in place uh, in the first year of planting. What are the things when we publicly launch we will have and we will make sure we have by the end? The optional things that we would really like to have this, but it's not a make or break, it's not going to stop us doing it. So we would say, yeah, absolutely, part of that preparation and holding off the public launch is to get these things in place and to have your core team on board so you can talk to them about who you're trying to reach and how you're trying to reach them. Not just move people around, but talking to them about mission and making those things the centre of and, and part of the DNA of your church before you do that. So yeah, we would say public launch is not the, the third one, so I, you know, not a clarity, second is launching to the third one I would say is um, not understanding roles. I think that's really hard. I've been writing some stuff on this because I've been thinking through it myself, um, partly from what other people have been kind of saying, and I'm just you know, kind of thinking it out. But understanding what it looks like, so we come out of ministry, out, out of college, and we often do have that Richard Baxter, Richard Baxter model of ministry, you know, I will care and love people and in a pastor way sit down and read the Bible and be one-on-one run small groups uh, and the, the biblical role of an overseer is often overseen it's not grappled with what does it look like for me to scale up my leadership to move through, through those development stages uh, and I don't think we grapple with that well so there's always a tension within planters between thinking uh, between what they, they need to do to grow to that first 50 mark and what their theological convictions which underlie that are tearing them towards. And I think, you know, coming to grappling with what pastoral leadership actually looks like on a steep role is one of the things that I think we're um, observing. Um, yeah. Any questions for Richard? We've got one more uh, in 10 minutes. Why aren't there any room places? I think that's a discussion for another time. Okay. I think because uh, my theological convictions and the theological convictions of our network, as expressed in our statement of faith, yep. would say we're complementarian rather than egalitarian, um, and so there would be um, there would be networks in the UK that will plant with with women, but we're not one of them. So is that? Yeah, that makes sense. In from a genetic perspective, we're, we're uh, very important yeah. as well, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's what I want. Yeah, yeah. And we, we want to say as well, we, we, um, when, yeah, when people plan, couples plan, they plan together. Yep. And that's a conversation we're having with couples and we're trying to work out how to have that conversation better. Because it's not just a guy, the guy running off and doing his own thing. 
Uh, they actually plant, that's the plants that, that work well together, they grow uh, to when a couple is in the same headspace and work together even though they are do you, do you work with, so we exaggerate and we say that a ministry wife will either double or half her husband's effectiveness yeah. in planting. Is yeah. that something that... No, that was a Jensen. Is it? Jensen so we overstate, we we're, it's overstated, but yeah. it's at, it's at, there's no way I could have done what we did I don't, yeah. without... I don't think so. Say again? Yeah. And so some of our situations, actually, if, you, if the wife's not on board, if she doesn't understand what she's letting herself in for... That's hard graft, Absolutely. and that's, that's hard graft. And so, but unquestionably, some of the plants that have flown, you look, you think, oh yeah, the wife's that she is definitely part of the growth dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're not just coming for his teaching; they're coming for her warmth and hospitality, her evangelism. Yeah, yeah. it's crucial. No, no pressure. Yeah. In terms of husband wife, actors, um, in terms of their roles, any difference as they work as a team? Yeah, I, I think it, it's a that's a big discussion, and it and it would be different, I imagine, for for couples. Uh, I've heard it said um, in Australia, perhaps within your network, that um, wives shouldn't work. Um, we would not have that position if Ross and my wife hadn't worked for two days a week. We couldn't have afforded to plant. Um, so I'm hugely grateful to her. Um, but uh, I was clear I was marrying this woman because I loved her and wanted to spend the rest of my life there, not because I thought I got a, a female curate for free. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, that, and that was the dynamic. And so I wasn't marrying her for her ministry effectiveness. I was marrying her because I loved her and I thought she was going to spend and she was good for me, Christian-wise, but I, I, I didn't think... You know. And she, she is a different character, therefore the things she does well, things she does badly, like me. And I think it's just worth working with strengths and weaknesses. And I didn't want our church to think, Rosalind runs everything, women, because she's my wife. Um, now, she has done some things, but we've, we've tried to multiply leadership and share that out and train a variety of people. And sometimes she's involved in that, sometimes she isn't. I think it, it depends on your wife's strengths and weaknesses and your strengths and weaknesses, um, I think. But it's a, it's a really good discussion and it's probably worth having with someone else as well who knows you well. I think within the network, I think we want to say, um, uh, we don't say not work, obviously. We want to say planting is hard work. It is rigorous and it can be painful at points and uh, you will have a greater chance of it getting traction and growing yeah. if you're in it together. And that can look at a whole number of forms. Uh, some of us, Richard said, no, it's going to, you know, it actually helps financially for your wife to work. Uh, uh, but if possible, if circumstance allowed, it would be nice to be in it together. And so Kathy has a conversation with you guys, just helping you think through the context they go in. And we've tried to love and look after our wives within Antioch by having termly gatherings of the wives. Sometimes I'm there, interesting dynamic. Uh, me and you know, 12 wives, um, my wife's there, just to point out, and I'll cover some stuff, they'll pray together, they'll share what's going on, and that's, we can do that because we're all local, um, and that's really valuable. I think it's great for them to realise my husband isn't the only crazy guy. There are, there are another 11, which is helpful. Um, one last quick question, yeah. we've got five minutes. Uh, just, 
Can you talk about a few of the things that you're finding most effective um, in helping plants grow and evangelize? Um, yeah, so this list here, prior planting experience, as I've said before, planting pregnant, yes, that's a phrase. In other words, this is not surprising. Um, they're not encountering it for the first time. They knew it was coming, they knew what to expect, both husband and wife sometimes. That's really valuable. Peer group interaction. Um, I think it's pretty, I was pretty, I think ministry is lonely. You're a leader, often you're out on your own, you're trying to attract people, ministry is lonely. Church planting is even lonelier sometimes, because um, there are fewer of you. Uh, you're, you know, so much of what you're doing, it's judgment calls. You're in the world of wisdom, what do I do here? I don't know, let's do this. And it, it may be that you've got elders, it may be that you haven't, but it's lonely. So, and in particular, in London, I remember sort of sitting there um, studying and just thinking, I want to meet with people, but they're all at work. So between, you know, I do early morning stuff. I used to go up to town, actually, and go and have lunch with guys occasionally. But it's lonely, so what I do, we get the guys out, because we're in London, we have a, we have a weekly um, training session. We're there for two and a half hours, two one-hour lectures, usually from me, but visiting speakers as well. And they interact with one another. So I force them to do the kind of dragon's den, does that mean anything to you guys? So they, you know, they have to do this and say, right, I'm wanting to plant a church in Stains. This is Stains, this is what Stains is like. Here are the people. I'm thinking that we're positioned to do this, and this is how I'm planning to do it. And this is what I've got in place. And we do this, and this is the timeline. And I've got, you know, there are 11 planters that go, no, don't do it that way, do it this way. Well, why aren't you doing that? And that interaction has been brilliant. Wonderfully, the kind of normal testosterone-fueled competition has been absolutely absent. Because I think they're just battered and they just really enjoy interacting with one another and thinking it through. It's been hugely stimulating. So peer group interaction has been brilliant, and I think that's one of the benefits of Geneva Bush. It's what people have said they want. Uh, planning accountability is just a way of saying um, where you're not strong strategically, meet up. So I meet up with Malcolm. I get, you know, we're there in the British Museum. We, we've got a table. I've got the pens out. I'm scribbling, drawing circles, and we're planning what they're doing because I can help them do that. That kind of planning accountability. And I think you do that through your coaching. Um, and we are, we're, Craig is helping me implement a, implement a coaching culture because we haven't got that. We've got training where I dump information on people. We've got mentoring where I essentially push them in the back and make them go faster. But we haven't got that arm round, side by side, how's it going, how are you traveling? Um, and so that's helpful. Part of well-being, in other words, if their spiritual life is a mess, if their marriage is a mess, they're struggling with the sins that they were struggling with before and now, but because they're under duress, they're all, it's all coming out, they're not in a great place to plant. So we need to love and look after our planters and their wives, and their wives, where they're married. Um, planting context, what's the, the overall question? Why have I got uh, that? Sit growth evangelism. Yeah, they've just got to understand their context and think through their, con what is the specific context that they're in? Once they've thought that and worked that one out, um, they, uh, they're a better place to do it. The truth is we're better at planting in the suburbs than we are in the city. We're better at planting amongst the edu tertiary educated than we are amongst the working classes as clinicians. We've tried to learn and we've, we're not going to give up, but we're not great. But I don't think, I don't think many people are in the UK. And, um, but we're trying to get better. And, we're trying, we've, and then finally, promotional assistance. So we're part of a network of churches. So in other words, when we've got a church plant happening, for example, let's say we've got a plant in Peckham, we'd say, okay, the network goes, to, you know, it's on Twitter, it's on the website, we'll produce um, uh, a video, people will blog about it, there's just a bit of noise, 
um, and, that, and that's been good to get stuff up and running. Not only that, I can have a word with John Tilcock, who runs one of the churches in the centre of town, and say, John, you've got anyone who lives in, um, in Peckham, and if he's willing to give me a fishing licence, we can recruit a small team. So at the moment, it could, be, it could just be me and my family moving into Peckham. But if I can actually build up a small team from the network, and we're serious about helping one another to plant churches, that can work. But I, I think you guys can do that with Geneva Push. You guys can promote what we're doing. Now, the other thing, the thing we've developed is the concept of the Formula One driver. So the Formula One driver is multi-badged, aren't they? It's, it's not like a football team. One badge, I play for Man U. It's, you know, here I am. I drive for Ferrari, but my, um, my tires come from Bridgestone, etc., etc. So the Globe is a commission church, but it's also an FIC church. Uh, and we're okay with that, but that's a new thing for us because we're so tribal in the UK, we don't normally play nicely together. But if I'm planting a church, honestly, I go, I, I talk, commission, okay, let's have a good support. City to city, let's have a conversation. Okay, I'll be one of your planters. Acts 29, I'll be one of your planters as well. Can I belong to the FIC? Great. I'm going to plunder money, resources, network, promotion, whatever I can. Now, you probably can't do Acts 29 and city to city they're too similar. But I think you could be co-mission city to city and um, and FIC if you wanted to be, in order to go for, get, get promotional assistance, which is helping for building a core team, not for evangelizing the lost.